Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. thing to do is um, uh, to bring you greetings from the churches in Kenya, who uh, very specifically appreciated um, hearing that you'd sent them your love, and we'd been prayed before we went, and uh, William was very specific in asking that we bring all the greetings from Kenya back to you, so receive them now, and uh, just to say we had a fabulous time. Um, all our goals were accomplished, all the prophetic word uh, came to pass, and um, we have a really clear sense of how the leadership in the churches will be able to unfold later this year, so we've felt very blessed. So this is um, authority part one, and um, I felt this morning like I should have some very fine silk gloves on to handle this word. I fe- felt the, the, the time of praise and worship was, was a perfect entrance to what the Lord wants to show to us today concerning authority. And if, um, if we could just put the first slide up, because what I want to call this morning, can we put number, number one up, please? There we go. Is the, the beauty of biblical authority. Um, and uh, there's a number of things we're going to cover. I'm, I'm not going to... I'm not going to cover all my topics today. And, um, and uh, Richard and Chris will also both be speaking over the coming uh, weeks between now and Bible week. But um, some of the things I'd like us to talk about, if you, the second slide coming up, will be um, the two falls and the, the way... Those, um, those events have shaped the world. Um, just introduce, introduce with that, and then um, to d- try and somehow define what we mean by authority. And then to consider who rules the cosmos. Probably know the answer to that one. And then uh, to consider how authority is outworked on earth, and especially uh, looking at everything we find in creation and in, and in the falls. And then, and this will be plenty for today, and then um, to have a look, first of all, how that outworks practically at home in marriage and family life. So these are, these are really, um, really massive topics. And uh, I'd like to take you first to, um, just to Isaiah chapter 14, And uh, we'll start at verse 12. Isaiah 14, verse 12. And this, um, this is a description of the fall of Lucifer. Isaiah 14, verse 12. 
How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit assembled on the mount of assembly. I sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds and I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. Those who stare at you, they ponder at your fate, etc., etc. And we'll, it, it's describing a, an earthly king, but it, it's clearly also a description of Lucifer, as is the next passage I want to take to you in Ezekiel 28. So just a couple of books on in the major Old Testament prophets. Ezekiel 28. That first passage, it, it's addressed to the king of Babylon. This one is, is addressed to the king of Tyre. And um, I think we take verse 12 again. Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre. And say to him, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, ruby, topaz, and emerald, chrysolite, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub. For so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God and you walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread, widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God. I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to earth. I made, you a, spectac I made a spectacle of you before kings. And finally, if you just turn to Genesis now, chapter 3. Genesis 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? I'm starting in those passages because when Lucifer expressed in his heart, I will ascend to the heavens, I will set up my throne above the stars of God. I will make myself like the most high God. He was expressing far more than just personal pride and ambition. He was um, challenging the authority of God. Yeah. I will set myself up above the throne of God and I'll make myself like God. And then in the garden when he asks Eve that question, did God, did God really say 
you must not eat from the tree, uh, any tree in the garden. He was asking Eve far more than a mischievous question. He was challenging the authority of the word of God. Did God really say? And um, those uh, those two attacks, those two challenges or assaults lead to the two great falls. The fall of Satan, the fall of Lucifer, and then the fall of man. And um, it shouldn't therefore surprise us that the root causes of all the great issues of our day concern authority. Who has the right to define marriage? Who gets to decide whether they're a man or a woman? Should our nation surrender its sovereignty to Brussels? To be very on topic. I'm not going to answer that question. That's for you on the 23rd of June. But you see, authority is the ultimate boundary stone that God has established in the universe. We'll come to see that in a moment. And the devil seeks to continue to try and shift it, just as he did before he was in the garden and when he was in the garden. And so um, we approach this topic with uh, great esteem and respect, great honor. It's not a regular and it's not a popular topic for several reasons. Number one, church history records many tragic abuses and misuses of authority. And so many people think it's just easier to avoid this sort of topic altogether. Number two, many Christians prefer to be given the keys to health, wealth, and happiness. And number three, and there's probably many more, there are, uh, some people would say, well, there are many more pressing issues than understanding authority. Uh, You know, the church needs to be united, the church needs to grow. They're all true, but um, it's it's completely wrong to think those would be reasons for not tackling this topic. Number one, it's essential that the bride of Christ emerges to express and demonstrate the beauty of biblical authority. Number two, the real key to inheriting all the things God has for us is to understand the authority we are under and we move in. And number three, the scriptures make quite clear, perfectly plain, that the church will only come to unity and will only grow as God intends if we embrace the gifts that God has for the church, which are expressions of authority. So what we're going to do um, today and and next time I'm on, and and, and Richard and Chris will, will tackle other aspects of this, but I want us to ask, what is authority? Who has it? Who gives it? How should it be responded to? What is God's word? How should um, authority be exercised at home, in the church, in life? And uh, we approach all of this absolutely convinced that if we can get some of these things, they will strengthen our relationship with God They will make for peace and security in the home and in the church. And they will enable us to move in supernatural power in our mission. 
these things really matter. So what is authority? What is the, um, the definition of authority? Well, um, if you were to look the word up in a dictionary, it would probably say something like the, the power or the right to give orders, to make decisions, to enforce obedience, the right to act in a certain way, permission, sanction, the power to influence others, etc. By the way, if anybody wants a copy of these notes, I'm really happy to circulate them. And it's a word that's commonly used in the Bible. Um, the NIV, which is what I have here today, uses the word authority on nearly 100 occasions, um, mostly in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, there isn't really one word that is used for all the translations that, where we would translate into authority. There, there's several different words used, but, but the recurring themes in the Old Testament is whether authority is legitimate or illegitimate. That's what keeps recurring. And, and secondly, um, the, the, the passages that talk about authority talk about it being given to people and taken from people. Okay? Is it legitimate? Is it illegitimate? Is it illegitimate? Has somebody received it? Is it taken from somebody? When you get into the New Testament, the, the key word is the, is the word on the screen behind me, exousia. And uh, that word occurs uh, over a hundred times in the New Testament, mainly as authority or authorities. Also, though, it's translated as power and as right or rights. And it has in it, and I was, I was thrilled with the opening line of the opening song, I think, where it talked about there is a, there is a weight above other weights. Because part of the sense of this word, exousia, is it carries weight it's power with weight. And, um, and there are, I guess there are sort of four or five concepts in this word exousia. It has all the sense of having permission, having ability or strength, having the right to do something, and having the power to do it. It is weighty. It's a weighty word. And I think I've put on the screen there, in the bold letters there, let's define authority as the lawful right to rule and exercise power or the power of ruling or government. All right? So this is what we're talking about. And then there's another word which becomes really important for us in this study, and it's that word kephale. And that word is, is, again, it's a common word in the New Testament, and it's simply translated in the NIV as head. Uh, often and mostly in the sense, literally, of talking about the head, the physical head, but, but also with some, some metaphorical meanings, not just the physical, the natural, but actually to describe uh, something metaphorical. And, and principally, what the word is meaning there is the authority over the head of the church is Christ. He's the authority over the church. He's the ruler over the church. Um, some people have, have tried to argue that that word also means head in the sense of the source of something, like the, the head of a river is the source of the river. Um, and without getting technical about it, that's, um, that is a view uh, I believe is, is argued primarily because the idea of of especially in, in the relationship between a husband and a wife or a man and a woman, the idea that one is the head over the other is, 
it's, it's easier to think of it as the source of, but I don't believe the, um, the exegesis in the scriptures, the analysis, the looking at the meaning of the word really supports that. And we'll come on to all of that in just a moment, okay, what we mean by headship. So let's just say kafale is the head, but it's also the head in the sense of being the authority over, and we'll come very clearly to what that means and what it doesn't mean. That's important, all right? So, so that's just to try and define the word. And then let's, let's get into the first big question, which is uh, who rules the cosmos? That's quite a big question. Um, you know, everything starts in the first three chapters of the Bible. And this one starts in the first few words of the Bible. So let's, uh, let's go to Genesis 1.1. As Deborah will tell you, it all starts in the garden. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Go to, just now you've, now you've gone all the way back to, Colo- to Genesis. Go all the way forward to Colossians. Colossians 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Colossians 1, verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Love to know what some of those are, wouldn't you? All those invisible things. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. That's a great place to start. All our theology, all our doctrine must begin with God. From above. We look at everything from above because all our theology reveals something of the nature of God. And since God created all things in heaven and on earth, everything visible, everything invisible, he has ultimate authority Over all things. And since he created all authorities, Colossians 1.16, he must be the source of all authority. In fact, Romans 13 verse 1 says, no authority exists unless, let me get the exact words right, Romans 13 verse 1 says, no, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities For there is no authority except that which God has established. All authority belongs to God. He alone has authority, it tells us in Acts 1-7. He alone, the Father, has authority to set the times and dates. The Father alone has authority to decide when things will happen. When his plan and purpose will be outworked. 
The Father alone, according to Luke 12, 5, has the authority to throw men into hell. Nobody gives authority to God. However, authority is given by God to those to whom he chooses to give it. All right? Now let's have a look at um, uh, a few verses that will um, bless us greatly. Um, Because the Father has chosen to share his authority, and principally he's chosen to share all his authority with his Son. Okay, so let's read um, Matthew 28. There's a few references on the slide, I think. Matthew 28, 18. This is a different kind of um, teaching this morning. So we're going to take a break in the middle because this is the emphasis today, is to teach the Scriptures. Less of a preach, more of a teach. Matthew 28, 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth. There you go. All the power, all the right, all the permission, all the ability, all the strength, all the weight, all the authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Wow. Therefore go, but we'll come on to that one. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. I didn't, I forgot to say, by the way, part two for me will be to talk about authority in the church, authority in the mission, reference this verse here, and authority in prayer and prophecy. Um, So all authority has been given to me. Then have a look at Ephesians 1. speaks about, verse 19, his incomparably great power for us who believe. That's significant. His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Colossians 2. Verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form and you have been given fullness in Christ who is the head there's that word head over every power and authority Christ is the head over every power and authority keep going to 1 Peter Verse 20, 21 and 8 tenths. Chapter 3, 1 Peter 3, 
chapter 21 towards the end. It, it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. Jesus has all angels, all powers, all authorities in submission to him. So the father has shared all his authority with his son. Jesus is the head over every power and authority. He has all authority. He's far above all authority. He created all authority. And every authority is in submission to him. And it's interesting that the Father gives Jesus authority specifically to judge and to give eternal life. John 5 and John 17 mention that. Because, because earlier on we read that only the Father has the right to throw people into hell. Now the Father has given Jesus the authority to judge. He shed all his authority with him. And by the way, when it says um, in 1 Peter 3 there, it said everything is going to be, um, all those powers are in submission to him. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. I know we're jumping around, but it's so important we see this. Here's a great example here of headship and submission. 1 Corinthians 15, verse um, 24. It's speaking of the... Um, uh, well, it began by speaking of the resurrection. It goes on to speak about the, the consummation of all things. Verse 24, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he's, for he's put everything under his feet. And now when it says that everything has been put under him, it's clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. So God the Father is putting everything under Christ. And the word being used over and over again is, is, is submitting things to him. It's the same word we'll come across where it says, Submit yourselves to one another. Wives, submit yourself to your husbands. It's this word submitting. And it literally means to put it under God's arrangement. The Father is submitting everything to Christ. And when he's done this, verse 28, then the Son himself will be made subject, or same word, submitted to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. I love that verse. So the Father is submitting everything under Christ so that when everything is under Christ, Christ himself will be submitted to the Father under God's arrangement. Everything under God's arrangement just as he intended. This is the beauty of biblical authority. Now, the next thing to say is that within the, within the uh, Godhead, we must now look to see how authority is expressed in our work. If all authority is in God, if he's the source of all authority, if he, 
if he has all authority, if he's chosen to share all authority with his son, if, he, if, if all authority will be submitted to him, then let's look within the Godhead to see how is this arrangement outworked. You see, when it comes to matters like um, how should authority be expressed or how does headship and submission work, we dare not look at any corrupted version of that or anybody's paperback book describing that. We need to look at what the Word tells us, how these things are expressed in God. So we look within God, and the principles of headship and submission originate in the Godhead, and it's from here we must be informed. And what we see is this, this is, this is so beautiful. Firstly, we see that there is perfect equality within the Godhead. The Lord is one, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are in essence the same. Thus, Jesus could declare in John 10, I and the Father are one. When Jesus promises to send the Holy Spirit, he says, I'm going to send you another counselor. And the phrase is allos parakletos. You might have heard that word parakletos. That's a description of the Holy Spirit. But the allos bit means another of just the same kind. Jesus says, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to send you another one who's just exactly the same kind as me, the Holy Spirit. He will come. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all of the same essence, the same kind. We just read in Colossians that God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ. And that word is is this lovely word that means the completeness, the full measure, the abundance, the perfection, the entirety, the totality of the Father is in the Son. And by the way, the totality of of the Son is in the church. Well, that's for another day. Wow. Wow. So there's perfect equality within the Godhead in that sense. But there is also um, a priority, an order, a headship, and a submission. They are equal, but there is a corresponding um, order and priority. And those two things are in no way contradictory. So Jesus could say, um, the Father is greater than I. You say, well, but I thought you were the same. Yes, they are the same in essence, but in order, the Father is greater. In, um, in 1 Corinthians 11, which is the, 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 the passage that, that goes on to talk about the covering of the head, which we'll come on to uh, in part two, it says the, the head of Christ is God. The kephale, the, the, the authority over Christ is God, the Father. So, Jesus could say, um, I, I, I've, I've come to do what, I'm, I've come to do the will of the Father. The Father sent me. There's, 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 a, there's a command and an obedience because, because the Father is the head of the Son. But they're perfectly equal. There's no humiliation involved. There's, there's just a wonderful headship 
within the Godhead. And, and when it says, um, as I mentioned earlier, that God is putting everything under Christ and that Christ will then himself be put under God, it's describing the arrangement that God has intended. So although they are equal in nature and essence, the Godhead are functionally distinct. Father, Son, and Spirit have different functions, if I could put it that way. So, so what you find frequently, the, it's the Father that originates things and speaks it's the Son who, who manifests and, uh, and, and reveals the, the will of the Father. And it's the Spirit who comes to enact things and complete things. And, and they work perfectly together. What a team. Yeah. Father, Son, and Spirit all doing different things, all the same, all with the same heart. But knowing, their, knowing the order that they do things in, it's fantastic. So the Spirit of God is hovering over the deep, waiting for the Father to speak something. And then he's on it. Because yeah. it's teamwork. Yeah. So it shouldn't surprise us that since there is a, um, there is a headship, there's an order, there's a, there's a way the authority is expressed first in the Godhead himself, it won't surprise us that everything he's created in his image, man and woman, Marriage and family, the church of God, everything he's created in his image to represent him, to reveal more of him, should display the same characteristics because they're found firstly in the Godhead. All right? How are we doing? It's not leg stretch time just yet, but it is coming. Let's have a look now at how authority was established on the earth. And, and to do this, we need to go back to Genesis. Okay, all the way back. All starts in the garden. And uh, the first thing we find here is that God, all, all our foundational truths are here. The big picture starts here. You, we should be very cautious of any doctrine that doesn't find its roots here. Yeah. But we should embrace everything that does find its roots here. So the first thing to say is this, that, um, that God set authorities in place to govern his creation. So if you look at Genesis um, 1 verse 16, it says that he, he, he created the sun to govern the day and the moon to govern the night. And uh, you needn't turn it, but let me just read this to you from, from Psalm 136, where it says, um, the sun to govern the day, his love endures forever, and the moon and the stars to govern the night, his love endures forever. It's an expression of the love of God to set the sun and moon in place, to govern, to govern the night, the day and the night. And that's exactly what the word means, to rule or, to, or to, to have dominion. So day and night, sun and moon, Psalm 74 describes the day and the night and the sun and moon as the boundaries of the earth. God has established authorities, literally authorities in the sky to govern life on earth. 
And, um, and, and I, I think we looked at this a few weeks ago, but Genesis 1.17 says, the next verse says, they were there to give light to the earth. And I love the fact that the heavens were created for the earth. The sun and the moon are there to give light on earth. Now, this depends on your worldview, but I choose a biblical worldview. I believe the earth is the epicenter of everything because the earth is the home of humanity made in the image of God. I believe everything else is created to support life on earth. You could take issue with me on that, but that is my choice. And, um, and this is because uh, man is on earth and the light of the sun and the light of the moon enable him to fulfill his commission on earth. It's all about God's purpose and plan and, and man fulfilling his commission. So first of all, God sets authorities in place to govern his creation. And then secondly, when, man, when God creates man, he, gives, he, he creates him in, in his image and he gives him authority over creation. So have a look at verses 26, 27. These are absolutely key. If, if we don't understand this, um, we're going to miss so much. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Let us uh, in our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the creatures, and over all, uh, all the livestock, over the, all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now, if you, turn, if you just turn back to um, uh, verse 22, when God is creating um, living creatures, they also have a commission to be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and increase. So, so all of creation has a commission to be fruitful and increase. But now look at, look, look how man's commission is described. Not, verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and said to them, male and female, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth. That's what all the living creatures are to do. But this is distinct for Adam. Subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So Adam is made in the image and in the likeness of God. And both male and female are created in that image and likeness. And that image and likeness is not physical or tangible, but it refers to other essential equalities in the Godhead, including authority, headship, and submission. And then God blesses and commissions and authorizes mankind to exercise that authority, to rule over birds of the sea. No, that's wrong. Birds of the air, fish of the sea. I would have been rubbish in Eden. And they are to rule over. And Adam finds himself a man under authority to exercise authority and to begin his commission. If you like, he's God's ambassador. He's God's representative. He's been made in the image of God. He's been made to be just like God. And that means he's there to exercise authority. And Adam and Eve together are to exercise their authority under God's arrangement to express 
what God is like. Thirdly, God establishes, uh, clearly establishes the order and the headship between Adam and Eve in mankind. Because although they're both created to be equal in essence, you find these things. Adam was created first. Eve came from Adam. And although um, they were clearly both to rule together over creation, you find that when, when they fall and, and sin, which we'll come on to in just a moment, it's Adam that's brought to account. Genesis 3, um, verse 9, the Lord calls to the man because he's responsible ultimately for what has happened. We'll come to that in just a second. So we find that the, the headship that originates is God, in God is seen in God's creation order and firstly in marriage and family. And later on in the New Testament when, when, when the apostle is, is trying to explain how order and authority and headship works, he refers back to this, the creation order. Adam came first, Eve came from Adam. Adam was ultimately responsible. Now let's just expand that and then we'll take a break after this because, because in the fall, and we'll read chapter three in a minute, there's so much here that we need to grasp. Chapter three. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you'll die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man... Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? We'll just leave it there. By placing Satan's word above God's word, Adam surrendered his God, some of his God-given authority. And now instead of ruling over creation, he became subservient to it. For it goes on to say in the curse, uh, you're, you will, uh, cursed is the ground and through painful toil you'll eat from it. Adam now comes somehow under the thing he was meant to be over. And... Um, he ceases to have full authority over creation because he's no longer under the full authority of the creator. There's several things we've got to see 
about this fall. The first of this, Adam sinned first. For although Eve was the one deceived, Adam was silent when it happened. But more than that, if you go back into Genesis 2 and verse 17, you'll find that the commandment not to eat from the tree, and listen to the words carefully, they must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And these are the consequences. You will surely die. That commandment was given to Adam before Eve was created. So therefore, Adam was responsible, number one, for ensuring that Eve was aware of what God had said. And then when she's confronted by the serpent, look, it's not only the serpent that, that, that twists God's words, it, Eve, Eve is not repeating back what God has said. Um, the, the serpent says, did God say you mustn't eat from any tree in the garden? That, no, he didn't say that. And Eve says, no, he said we mustn't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. No, he didn't say that. There were two trees in the middle of the garden, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said you mustn't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's why God later banishes them from the garden, because they could have eaten from the tree of life and lived forever. God banishes them as an act of mercy because he doesn't want them to live forever in their fallen state. Keeps them out of the garden so they can't live forever in that state. Glory to God indeed. So when Eve is confronted by the serpent and, and she misstates God's command, where is Adam? When she says we're not to eat it or touch it, where's Adam to say, no, 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 sweetheart? <laughs> Echoes of Ted Kent going through my head there. Uh, the, the God said, um, that one's fine. It's that one. We mustn't eat from that one. I don't think it's, it's not that Adam isn't with her because I think it's verse six, says, says he is with her. Adam is standing there, letting his wife be deceived by the serpent, not correcting her misstatements. Maybe he's not even passed on the information. I don't know, it was before the fall. I guess he did. Adam left Eve uncovered, unprotected. I think we'll take a little break there. There's been a lot already. And I've got, uh, I've got about another couple of hours worth, so um, <laughs> take, a, take a leg stretch. If we, if we could be back in our chairs literally in, in, in three or four minutes, that'll be perfect. So we've seen that God established um, authorities to govern, to set boundaries for the earth. We've seen that um, Adam was, is commissioned to have authority and to rule over the rest of creation. We've seen then that God establishes order and headship between Adam and Eve, not only in the way Eve comes from Adam, but um, in the way Adam is ultimately responsible. And then we've seen that in Adam's rebellion against uh, God's authority, he listens to the word of the serpent and gives priority to that word over the word he's already heard from God. 
Um, that leads us to say that um, we mustn't miss the fact... Are we on that page? Yeah, must, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Is, that the, is, is the authority of God's word. The grounds of Satan's temptation concern the authority of the word of God. Did God really say... And you've heard us say this many times in the last couple of years. That is the issue of our day. It's it's the same old stuff. No new tricks. No new tricks. It's been the same since the garden. Did God really say? Because it's... Lucifer knows that in attacking the truth of God's word... He's attacking the authority of God. And he tempts man to rebel against that authority. Um, this, we, elsewhere, of course, we, we, we understand the scriptures to be true and God-breathed and infallible and eternal and carrying ultimate authority. The psalmist says, you've exalted above all things your name and your word. The next thing is that um, what we find after the fall is, is a, and I'll put it this way, a subtle corruption of man's authority. Note that notwithstanding that Adam is the head, Adam and Eve were to rule together. There's no distinction in, in Genesis 1, 28 in, in the commission. They're to rule together. They're to both to exercise rule, both to exercise authority, Um, But look what happens after the fall in in Genesis 3, verse 16. Uh, Towards the end of that verse, the Lord says to Eve, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And it's subtle. But in there are all the hints in that word desire. She's going to want to rule over him. And he's going to want now, the word is slightly different, to dominate her. That's not the beauty of biblical authority. Um, What you find, of course, from that point onwards is all the abuses and misuses of authority start to flood the world. Excuse the pun. Murder. Corruption. Violence, war, oppression, all of those soon follow from Genesis 3 onwards. Because authority now, the outworking of authority on earth has been corrupted. The next thing I'd like to say is that um, there's a root cause of, um, of, of all rebellion and all corruption, um, which I'll simply describe as envy. Remember that man has been made in the image of God, in the likeness of God. That's how Adam and Eve were made. Remember that Lucifer's aim was to set his throne up above the heavens. And if you you remember from Isaiah 14, he says, so I will make myself like the Most High. It was Lucifer's desire to be like God. Now he encounters a man and a woman who have been made just like God. 
the thing he always wanted. So he tempts the woman, deceives the woman. He says, if you, it's not that you'll die. It's just that if you eat that, God knows you'll be like him. What rubbish. She was already like him. And you have in this the, the, the anatomy, the, the, the sort of the, the anatomy of, of temptation and sin. Eve was tempted to do something that was prohibited, believing that it would give her something that she already had. Yeah. Isn't that what sin does? Yeah. We take something that's prohibited, thinking it will give us something that we think we need, that in fact we were, Eve was already just like God. Yeah. Taking that fruit wasn't going to make her any more like God. She was made in his image. So, the, so Lucifer, who so wanted to be like God, finds this man and woman who've been made just like God. His heart is filled with envy, adding to all the pride and the, uh, the other things that we read about in the Old Testament there that are already in his heart. And he thinks, I'm going to get her, and I'm going to get her on the very issue that means so much to me. I'm going to make her think she'll be just like God if she does this. And what happens? She becomes just like Lucifer, a fallen creature. That's the extent of his deception, folks. And we need to be wise to it. Don't miss this. The root cause of rebellion is the very reason for Satan's attack and the very basis of his temptation. And sin causes us to surrender what we have in order to try and gain what we think we need, brackets, which we already have. <laughs> and then just to um, quickly say something about this, don't take too long on this, but it's clear from all of this account that the devil does have some authority. God permits him to. God created all authority, but he's permitted him to have some I can't possibly go into all that now. Maybe Richard will explain that when he's on next. (laughs) And um, Ephesians 2 verse 2 talks about unbelievers following the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Uh, The kingdom there is is a better word, is is power, because it's the exousia, it's that word. Um, A spirit who's now at work. But it says that believers are rescued from a dominion of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's Son. That's better because because Satan is not a king. He doesn't have a kingdom. He he may have a dominion of darkness, but he is not a king. The closest he gets is is being called the prince of the air, but he's not a king. And and the devil, when 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 he's tempting, trying to tempt, trying to cause Jesus to sin, tempting him, um, he says, uh, do you remember at one point he says, "All, all the kingdoms of the world have been given to me. And all their authority has been given to me. And Jesus doesn't um, pick him up on that. But remember that the, the, he is a thief and a liar. Yeah. He says all authority has been given. All authority has not been given to him. He may have some, but he doesn't have all. He's a thief. He's a liar. He's trying to steal what's not rightly his. And, um, and then just to say the, the effect of the fall was catastrophic for the whole cosmos. Everything was affected by the fall. 
And I'm not making a sort of scientific comment about the structure of the universe or, or anything like that, although that may be true. Everything was affected so that the Lord has promised us new heavens and new earth, which you see fulfilled in Revelation 21, but that promise goes right back to Isaiah 65, a new heaven and a new earth, or in Isaiah 65, a new heavens and a new earth. Jesus is reconciling all things back to the Father. We're waiting the time of the restoration of all things. Everything's been affected, all things, visible, invisible, rulers, powers, thrones, authorities. Everything's been affected by the fall and by the curse that followed. But the enemy's principal activity is on the earth. Because that's where mankind is. The ones he envies so much are on the earth, fulfilling the redeemed ones, fulfilling the mission and the mandate of God. Praise God that Jesus, on the cross, Colossians 2.15, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So we don't focus on the dominion of darkness, but just to know Jesus has come to defeat Satan, to give us life in abundance, and to empower us to express godly authority. Amen? Amen. So let me finish uh, this morning with just a few, just a few, wow. It's not just anything. But just to bring this home now, with some practical things. Since authority and headship originate in the Godhead, they are reflected firstly in the men and women made in his image and therefore are to be evidenced principally in our home life, family, marriage, home, uh, the way we conduct ourselves. And, and so just to, just to focus now on, on the home, and let's turn to Ephesians 5. Thank you for being so attentive. Ephesians 5, 21 through to 24. Submit to one another. Now, every, every, this word submit now is is this word um, that means to come under God's arrangement. It's the same word used of the way uh, the Father is bringing everything into submission to Christ. And when everything's in submission to Christ, Christ and, all, and, and the whole of his footstool will be in submission to God the Father. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, 
and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Um, I'll just pause there. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And in both cases, the same word is used, this word kephale, which we've mentioned. But Paul immediately proceeds to express the properly balanced aspects of headship. Firstly, the wife should submit to her husband, but this is only after we submit to one another. By the way, that word is is the same word used to describe Jesus' relationship with Mary and Joseph when they found him in the temple, and it says says he became obedient to, to, to his mother and father. It's the same word. He submitted to them. Secondly, the husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You see, headship is loving, is loving leadership. I don't mean it's loving leadership. It's loving, a loving form of leadership. Although if it's a loving leadership you love, that's okay. Headship is loving leadership expressed in a willingness to die for the one you love. That's the headship that Jesus embodied, that Jesus modeled for us. Submission is to come under God's arrangement. And in this way, and we'll express more of this when we talk about prayer and prophecy But there is no hierarchy in this. There's no superiority or inferiority. It's simply saying, this is the order of God, first and second. Headship submission. The beauty of biblical authority. And and as husband and wife um, find that godly arrangement then they begin to exercise and rule together. Just as God intended, God blessed them and said to them, subdue and rule. Adam and Eve and Deborah and I and Richard and Sarah and Chris and Ellie and and, and we could go throughout the room, we're partners together. Outworking God's plan and purpose. And so that principle extends into family life and the relationship between parents and children. Um, interestingly, the, um, the, the Jacob, it says in the Old Testament, he obeyed his father and mother. Um, the law in Deuteronomy talks about a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother. Proverbs heeds us to, warns us to heed your father's instruction and your mother's teaching. Proverbs 1. Proverbs 6 says, keep your father's command and don't forsake your mother's teaching. In the New Testament, uh, in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, um, children, obey your parents, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then it goes on to say, honor your father and mother. There's 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 a function together of parent, husband, wife, father, mother, towards their children, ruling, expressing authority. Biblical parenting is not merely advisory. 
That's really important. We're meant to have authority over and to, and to lead in a godly arrangement in our homes. Kind of so quiet. And pretty much the last point I want to make is this. However, in that, the father does retain a headship. As the head of the marriage and the head of the family, he does have an inherent authority to take the lead, a loving leadership, leadership that expresses the love of God. If I could just simply say it, the buck stops with him. Buck stops with me in our home, in our marriage, in our family. He must take first responsibility in those matters. So there's plenty we, could, we, we can and will, I hope, uh, outwork practically. But um, let me just give you a little teaser for part two. Next time, what authorities has God established in the church? What authority does an apostle have? What's the difference between elders and deacons? That was the only... Um, the only um, uh, negative in our time in Kenya is after four days of teaching on elders and deacons, somebody said at the end, what's the difference between an elder and a deacon? <laughs> good, good question, though. What authority do all believers have? Is it conditional? Is there any difference or distinction between what men and women can do? Can I really move mountains? What about drinking some poison or picking up some snakes? We'll cover all that. Why is it we don't always see the sick healed when we pray for them? And lastly, what does head covering have to do with all this? Just to say, a great deal. A great deal. So all will be revealed. And uh, thank you so much for being attentive. Hope you've been informed and blessed and equipped this morning. joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We meet every Sunday at 10.30am in Stony Stanton and 4pm in Tamworth and Market Harborough. Feel free to come and visit us. We'd love to meet you.